Welcome back to our podcast, and my name is Jim Hughes, and this is The Gospel According to Jesus. As we open up God's Word today, I want us to think about a couple of scriptures. The first one is 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is to us who are being saved the power of God. And then in Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Our theme scripture is Amos 8.11, which says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but rather for the hearing of the words of the Lord. And our podcast today is part two about the cross called The Cross is an Offense. As I spoke in the last podcast, the cross is a symbol of Christianity and has been from the start. The cross is the key to your redemption. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.1, And I, brethren, when I come to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you listen to this, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But our key scripture is found in Galatians 5.11. It says, I, brethren, I still preach circumcision. Why am I still persecuted when the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished? We are living at a moment in history in which many people are afraid. We read headlines in our major news agencies screaming at us that something is wrong in the world. Something is wrong in America. Riots like we have never seen since the 60s. One particular political party is destined to destroy America by calling right wrong and wrong right. We are all start to wonder when the next world war is going to happen. China is flexing its muscles. We see them outpacing us as far as military hardware. And if our country is with, with going to withstand it, we've got to get stronger. Billy Graham tells a story that his friend John Steinbeck told him. John Steinbeck wrote the book, The Grapes of Wrath. And Mr. Steinbeck told Billy Graham about a time when Adelaide Stevenson was running for president. Now, this was way back in the, in the 50s. And wrote Mr. Steinbeck a letter. The letter read, there is a nervous restlessness, a hunger, a thirst, a yearning for something unknown. Perhaps it's morality. But then there is all this violence and cruelty and hypocrisy, systematic of, of a people which has too much. They spend their hours and money on the couch watching TV, searching for something to relieve their part souls. If I wanted to destroy a nation says Mr. Stevenson, I would give it too much. I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, and sick. Mainly, I'm troubled by the cynical immorality of my country, which I do not think can survive on this basis unless some catastrophic strikes us. We are lost. Even though this was written in the early 50s, it speaks about where we are as a country today. Revelations 3.14 says, 
about the Laodicean church. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, now listen to this. This describes us. This describes this country. This this describes where we are today. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I am in need of nothing. That is America. We're in so need of nothing, we don't need God. We don't need the church. We don't need the gospel. We don't need anything that has to do with laying your life down. So the whole world is searching for answers. A very well-known leader was quoted in a news article a few years ago saying that if the devil should offer an antidote for the troubles of the world, I would gladly follow his advice. We are in real trouble in our country, folks. We are like the frog being slowly boiled by the ungodliness, the wickedness that's going on in our country right now. The cross has been caused, has been called the scandal of Christianity. And it is because our country, nor our church leaders, are looking to it any longer. We don't look to the cross. We don't talk about the cross. We don't preach on the cross. Because the answers to all of our problems are found at the foot of the cross. If we would preach that if we would only repent of our sins and come to the cross, there we would have an answer to our personal problems and our country's problems, because the transforming power of the gospel starts at the cross. You see, at the cross, you surrender, you repent, you turn away from what the world says and does. You will never understand the Bible fully unless you understand that central in the Old and New Testament is the cross of Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a crimson thread, and that thread has to do with the suffering on the cross by Jesus for our sins. It's not that the pastors that understand and read the Bible don't know this. They know. You see, 800 years before Christ was crucified, Isaiah the prophet wrote, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. The expression, the offense of the cross, sounds very strange to our 21st century years. Because you see, on our steeples, our churches, whether it's Catholic or Protestant, you see this symbol. We see it on our Bibles. It's an ornament around our necks. It's an emblem of art. And poets. And that's okay. We also see it in commercials. We see it everywhere. But the cross has become sentimental with us and rejected of men, of the whole world, and has become a stumbling block. It becomes a scandal to the world. And yet Isaiah with his prophetic vision, says, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Paul, living after Christ, found that the cross provoked an intense scorn and aroused antagonism of men and women everywhere. And at the end of his life, when everyone had left him, all he had was the cross. That's what Paul says. He boasts only 
in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that started on the cross. Why is the cross an offense? Have you ever thought about that? Why is the cross such an offense? It is an offense because it's exclusive and inclusive at the same time. It's exclusive because it excludes all other ways to God. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The cross is an offense because it is exclusive. Jesus, from the world's perspective, was narrow-minded. Look, we could use some narrow-minded preaching in our churches in America today. We could use some ministers, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists that would be narrow-minded about the fact that if you don't come to the cross, you're going to perish. But it is also an offense because it is inclusive. Wait a minute. How is that possible, Jim? How can it be exclusive and inclusive? Well, all the other religions of the world that require you to do something, like join them, or it makes you join them or you will die. It's by the sword that you come to know them. The cross is inclusive. Jesus said in Revelations, whomsoever will come. The cross is an offense because it condemns the evils of the world at the same time inviting the world in. That's powerful. You see, King Herod did not like the cross because it was a, it was, he was living in adultery. And the cross condemned his immorality. And if you come to Christ, you have to give up that kind of life. You have to let Christ take control and let him help you change your life. King Herod did not like the cross because it pointed to him and said, King Herod, you have to give up that woman you're living with. You're living in sin. And then Pilate did not like the cross because he was browbeat and swayed by the crowd and that caused him to be afraid to stand up for what he knew was right. The cross does the same today. It's an offense. Just as the cross condemned Pilate, it will do the same to you if you don't turn to it. Years ago, a newspaper polled the supposedly social, political, cultural leaders among It's thousands and thousands of readers. And it asked a number of questions, but one was, if you could choose one historical figure to invite to the greatest dinner you would ever serve, who would you choose? Well, as you probably already guessed, a lot of them chose some really great leaders from days gone by. Helen of Troy, the great pharaohs of Egypt, Socrates and Alexander the Great. But not one included Jesus Christ. Not one of them included the Lord Jesus Christ. He made an impression on the world that's been done by no other. He was God in the flesh, and he came to save the world from its sin, and yet these folks can't even mention him. The greatest man to ever or will ever walk on the earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for all mankind and rose from the dead. Why didn't they include Jesus? Why didn't they say his name? 
the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. The cross is an offense because the offense of the cross condemns my sinful way of life and I and you don't like it. We don't like the fact that the cross is pointing at us. The cross points a finger at you and condemns you. Not you personally, but your sin. The cross is offensive because it says you must turn from your wicked ways. The cross is an offense because it condemns greed. Greed in our society has become to a roaring boil in the last 30 years. It's everywhere, not just with the rich, but also with the poor. Not just with the unbelievers, but unfortunately with the believers. Greed is greed because it causes us to want what the other person has or causes us to want to be like someone else. Listen, have you ever been behind a person at a convenience store that is purchasing a lottery ticket? They don't look rich, but they want to be rich. They want to be like rich people that are paraded in front of them on social media in Hollywood. They are thinking, if I could just have what they have and become rich, I would be happy. The cross condemns all greed, dishonesty, immorality, and we don't like it. We don't like that it's pointing a finger at us. We don't like to be disturbed in our sins. For these reasons, the cross becomes an offense. When Paul came before Governor Felix, the burning message of the cross condemned Felix so much that he trembled and he said to Paul, when I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. But Felix never called for Paul. Paul sat in that prison and never got a, a word to come speak with Felix. The cross was an offense to him to point to a point that he thought he would have another and more time to come to grips with his sin. Some of you listening to this podcast are in the same mindset. You think you can just push eternity out to a more convenient time in your life. You think that you're young or you're middle-aged or whatever. There's got to be a more convenient time. But the Apostle Paul says this, today is the day of salvation. Why does he say that? Why does he make that statement? Because you are not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are. We're not guaranteed that we're going to wake up. We're not guaranteed to be awake tomorrow, to be driving our car tomorrow, to be going to work tomorrow. You're not guaranteed that. So today is the day of salvation. For the gospel message, the sweet, spot, the sweet spot age is between 11 and 30 years of age. The heart at those ages are the most tender and open. D.L. Moody, that great evangelist of the 1860s who preached to 30,000 plus people in England, was really known for his child evangelism. One time, Moody was asked how many people got saved in his service today. Moody said, four and a half. The person that asked the question, oh, you mean four adults and one child? Moody said, no, four children and one adult. The person said, what do you mean? Moody said, the four children have their entire lives to devote to Christ 
But this man that got saved today is 40 years old, and half of his life has been given to the world, and he only has half to give to Christ. Think about that for a minute. You who are listening will always think that you have to get things in order before committing your life to Christ, because the cross demands you lay it all down at the foot of it. But it will never work out. You need to do it now. You need to do what God has called you to do. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. And that truth is you have to lay it down. The Spirit is speaking to you right now. Now is the time. The Scripture says men love darkness because their deeds are evil, and the cross throws light on their evil deeds, and they don't like it. The next reason the cross is an offense is the blood. The blood of Christ was shed on the cross. Leviticus 17 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your sins, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for your sins. Now, people of the world and of other religions make fun of Christ and Christianity and Christians because we talk about the blood. The Bible is filled with topics about the blood from Genesis to Revelations. We sing songs in our churches about the blood. Even at the beginning, God slew animals and blood was shed to clothe Adam and Eve. All the instances in the Bible about blood is pointing us back to Christ and his shedding of blood for you and for me. Revelations 5.9 says, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You see, it's the blood. It's the blood that brings remission or forgiveness. The ninth chapter of Hebrews says, All things are by the law purged with the blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. You and I can't be forgiven of our sins without the blood. By his blood we are forgiven, we are justified, and we are saved from damnation. Romans 5.9 says, We are justified by his blood, we are saved from the wrath. I know that's contrary to what you might be hearing in today's pulpit, but God is a God of wrath. But the blood saves you from it. Outside of Christ and what he did on the cross, you are hopeless. You were without remedy. Unless you turn to the cross and turn to Christ. Finally, the cross is an offense because it demands a new lifestyle. It demands that Jesus is Lord of your life, not just the Savior. It demands that you change the way you live. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's a powerful scripture. Deny himself and take up his cross. That means give me up to him. Deny selfishness lust, and greed, and follow him. That means be willing to go back to your classroom, 
go back to your neighborhood, back to your business, back to your job, back to your family, and show them that you're following Christ. We just got back from just a great missions trip in Guatemala this year, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And we were able to see a lot of people come to Christ. And I remember this one mama that we ministered to, that my wife and I ministered to, and she had two sons. And a month before we had gotten there on our missions trip, her two sons, her two teenage sons, were murdered. The pastor said many people had tried to present the gospel of the cross to her, but she would not listen. He asked if I would share the gospel with her. And so I started telling her about what Jesus did on the cross and how she is a sinner and needs a Savior. Oh, wait a minute, Jen. Didn't you just say she, both of her sons are murdered and you're being this insensitive to her? You're sharing the cross with her? You're sharing the blood with her? Well, look, it's the only thing that is going to bring life into her life. Life into her life is going to come through the cross, just like it does for me and anybody else that humbles himself and lays down their life. She listened, and when I asked her after sharing with her the, that message, if she was ready to ask Christ to forgive her of her sins and ask him to come into her heart, she looked me right in the eyes. Now, now remember, I'm going through an interpreter. I'm she doesn't speak English, so she doesn't know what I'm saying. But she said, yes. She said, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to do what it takes to be saved. Listen, are you ready to do that? Or is the offense of the cross going to keep you from eternity? Is the offense of the cross going to keep you from laying your life down and picking up Christ's? picking up your cross and following him. If you're ready, you're listening to this podcast, please pray with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've made many mistakes. You know what they are. My heart is full of sin. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. Write my name down the Lamb's Book of Life. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, and I vow to follow him the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, praise God. You are part of the kingdom of God. And I want to hear from you. I thank you for joining this podcast. And if you prayed that prayer, or if you need prayer, or you just want to share your testimony, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. My email is jimu71 at hotmail.com. Please let me know what's going on in your life. Until next time, God bless you. Thanks for listening.